Welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast where we're helping you fill the gap between what you want to do with your money and what you actually do. We are professional investors, writers, and financial planners helping you navigate the complexities of finance to optimize what you can control and cut out the rest. Join your host, Nick Shermans and Aaron Varghese, as we discuss the questions and nuances surrounding everyday money management. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Blind Spots. Today, we have our very first ever guest. So you will see a new uh, friendly face if you are joining us on YouTube and you will hear a new voice if you are joining us on popular podcast channel. So in this episode, we have the honor of speaking with Kevin Hanna, a dedicated professional with over 20 years of experience in the lending industry. He was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, and Kevin has deep roots in the community and currently resides in Lake Oswego with his wife, Michelle, and their three children. So he is very close to our headquarters here in Lake Oswego. But Kevin's commitment to serving the Pacific Northwest's lending needs is truly remarkable. Over the years, he's developed strong ties with the region's lending community and remains deeply connected to the local market. His passions for giving back to the community and supporting the community is evident through his involvement in various nonprofit organizations, including the Youth Music Project, Dornbecker Children's Hospital, and many more. But as the founder of Lions Capital Mortgage, Kevin's dedication to aligning operations with sales and fostering a culture of integrity has been instrumental in empowering clients to achieve their dreams of home ownership and financial freedom. So today we are going to be discussing mortgage options for different life stages, whether you are a first time home buyer or you are purchasing your last home or somewhere in between. We are going to be talking a little bit about market insights and advice from Kevin on the current real estate environment. And Kevin is going to answer some of our listeners frequently asked questions about mortgages and lending. So Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Great. So let's just kick it off. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got into lending in the first place. Sure. I definitely didn't get out of it once I got into it. Let's just put it that way. So um, yeah, this is actually my 21st year in, in the mortgage business. I started in residential real estate in California and I'm born and raised in the Northwest. So family pulled me back here after college and I've been a part of ownership throughout my whole career. I've summoned independent mortgage banks to now a brokerage. And I think after 20 years, I'm also the youngest of five. So I kind of grew up learning what not to do, I would say. So I kind of learned what not to do in this mortgage industry and a lot of great things along the way. I say that jokingly, but my folks have always instilled in me to search for the best that can be done, not the best we know how. And I think that's what we really strive to do at Lions Capital that I am in Lake Oswego, but serve many West Coast states. And we just want to really serve the community. You know, I coach both of my kids in soccer and basketball and tennis and engage in the community. And I think everybody wants to work with somebody they know, like, and trust. And I, I may not be the best deal for everybody, but I'm going to make sure through my connections, my experience and roots in the community, that they're going to find that. So that's why we started Lions Capital. And we named it Lions Capital to actually be protector of your largest investment you may have, which is a mortgage. And mortgage is just a small scope of what we do because we get their whole financial picture when they'd actually do a transaction with us. So we really try to help guide them, as you mentioned, financial freedom, because we truly believe that people that are out of debt rather than hemorrhage with more debt are in a better financial state. So our goal is to stay with them throughout the life if they'll have us, not just through the transaction. So yeah, I'm honored to be here today. Thanks for having me. You had mentioned when we were preparing for this episode about getting out of debt, which is obviously mm-hmm. contrary to really the the product or service that you are providing. So did that have any kind of bearing on, on your journey into lending or any no, experience? 
Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I, again, my folks instilled in real estate investing, how it's one of the best decisions you can make in your life. So I got enamored by it and I continue to look at that. But as you, as we've said, it's one of your largest debts that you'll have in your life. But it's also better if you actually look at it that way, when you're renting a home, you're actually paying about 100% interest rate. So talk about being kind of strapped with a debt. That's something that's there. And getting free of those financial obligations and as credit card usage is the highest it's ever been and all these other items, getting free of that burden allows you to see things clearly. So when I got into the industry, I kind of was set on a path of having a purpose to improve people's lives through financial success, through wealth building, which the largest assets, those more millionaires own real estate than anybody in any other segment. And that's where they start through wealth building. So even in markets where their interest rates are higher. So we'll go through some of that of where interest rates have been, where they are today. But yeah, it was definitely something that I dug into, but more and more I dug into it, I saw certain people were in the business for the wrong reasons and certain good ones were. And I think this year, these last several years have weed out a lot of the individuals that aren't in it for the right intention. Um, anybody can get in the business when money and uh, loans are raining from the sky, but those that will withstand this, those that have been in it decades through the multiple downturns, you know, those are individuals you really want to try to work with that are at least going to try to guide you through this journey. And hopefully home ownership is uh, still a part of the glimmer in the eye of individuals in this country today that they could have that, that, that true American dream of home ownership uh, once in their lives. So. What types of firms have you worked at and what kind of bad actors have you seen that led you to start your own firm and really have the ultimate control? Gosh, without being on the inquisition here, I would say I just, you know, and it wasn't really anybody that was super reckless or bad. I just think that there's a lot of individuals that just try to cut corners and they don't look at it. And the easiest thing for me to do is quote your rate and move on. The hard thing for me to do is to find you the best interest rate or the best deal, or really look at your entire financial situation of saying, although you may be able to afford this, we don't want you to be house poor. And this is where your actually payment could be. And if that's comfortable for you, we want you to really be comfortable. So that is what has really, I've kind of witnessed throughout the years. Again, I saw individuals getting in it, kind of being order takers when the refi booms came in. And those order takers are fine, but I'm surprised how many individuals that are very savvy out there work with certain individuals that, you know, it's their, a large investment in their, in their path, but they get so enamored by the rate or the product that they offer than the person that's actually serving them. So uh, that's what I've really learned. I guess more, it's not really bad people. There's always somebody that kind of ruins it for everybody, but more just individuals that don't have that genuine intent. Uh, I have a couple of principles. It's, you know, be fierce, be accountable and be genuine. And I think that that genuineality is important for individuals to find somebody, I mean, whether it's a financial advisor or not, somebody that is truly vested in their success. And rather than I'm only in it to actually get something out of you. And I think that's kind of the difference of where I saw my, maybe that's just my moral alignment that caused me to go this direction versus others. But that's where I, I really stay focused. So there's always going to be, you know, bad people or bad actors in any yeah. industry, no matter what yeah. you're doing. As investment advisors, we have a fiduciary duty to our clients. Other than your personal morals, is there any kind of constraints that you have or advice that you're allowed to give to your clients in order to make sure they get, you know, the price that they need? Yeah. Well, I think it boils down to comfort. I think it boils down to what is your journey? Do you have kids? Do you not? Are you saving for all this? You know, the mortgage consultant really 
goes almost to the limits of a financial advisor. And we try to be very protective of not crossing those bounds because, again, I'm not a CPA. I'm not, I only have my journey and my experiences of what I've seen. And I think a person with an experience outweighs anybody with a man with an argument. I think there's that old saying. So I think that's really important for individuals to look at. So, of course, we are more regulated after 2008 than I would say any other industry to really serve the client. But a lot of those policies, unfortunately, they attempt to make the client in a better situation. But again, like anything, whether it's a government or policy, somebody behind a desk is not going to know actually what's happening out in the field. So there's ways in which I think I've seen a lot of individuals out there just not really have the right moral responsibility. So I think on, on our side is we first solve a problem by understanding what your situation is. I truly believe that you can't solve a problem without understanding what the, what the problem is. And so, but most individuals won't ask you, you know, what are you looking at? What are you currently renting at? What do you feel comfortable with with your payment versus what can you afford? I can show up at the Rolls-Royce dealership tomorrow and they can say, I can approve it. I can drive it home, but my wife will not be too happy about that um, based upon it. So what we can afford, and I, again, I reference being at an all-time high on credit card limits, that appetite, we really... We really have to really temper that and know that we we may want it and we may rationalize that we deserve it, but can we afford it and does it make sense for our lifestyle? And I think individuals just have to really kind of pull back that layer and work with somebody that truly is vested in their life because at Lions Capital Mortgage, we do annual financial wellness reviews, not just annual mortgage checkups. And that means is, you know, where's your interest rate at? But if you had more kids, are you looking to upscale? What does it look like? And are you setting on your goals or what we outlined when we first met? And what does that look like? So I think that's really important as well. What is that process like? I've I've never heard of an annual mortgage review. Yeah, it's something that we, we use your loan anniversary as a time to just check in. Hopefully we're talking more than that because we want to be top of mind with you and you see something. I view it kind of like the grocery aisle, right? You you go through and you got all your groceries and you got gum and candy bars. You don't need any of that stuff, right? But it's there for a reason. And why does every place do it? Because it it is plays on the emotion. That's why you get something in the mail saying, now may the time to refinance, you're going to call. So having somebody that you trust, I think is critically important. But our financial wellness reviews, just really check in and spend time because we talk about your financial goals at the beginning. Are you on pace for it? Are you not? You know, have things changed? Have you got a new job? Did you lose a job? So we really try to just help them throughout that process. Is that something that's typical of kind of independent firms or I only have one personal experience going through the mortgage process. So tell me about that. No, I don't think so. I think most individuals are saying, hey, call me when you want to refinance or if they see interest rates go down. Again, they're more transaction based than they are customer based or intent based. And I think that genuinity of if I, you're working with me, I truly know you. I mean, I, I live, work, and worship in Lake Oswego. I'm born here. So I'm vested. I see individuals at the coffee shop. I you know, go to school with half of them. So we're engaged with. And the last thing I have is my name and my integrity. So if I don't have that, I really don't have anything. So I think it's important that we stay connected. I'd rather work with a select few and really do it well than do everything that we offer and not do it right. And so I don't think it's common practice um, because I do think it is about, oh, if interest rates go, I'll call you. But we do more than that. You know, we had the ice storm that just happened recently and we sent out a note to everybody saying, hey, we understand that there's troubling times. It's hard for people to even find a plumber or something to have pipers. We have connected individuals that we work with and let us know if we can help because we care about them and we care about our customers. So unfortunately, I wish it's common practice, but I don't think it is. But there are a lot of good people that engage in relationships throughout that. We just have tried to standardize it and make it common practice because I believe 
marketing and ideas are great, but I believe in consistency. And if consistency happens, then you have a shot of it continuing to happen. So our, our financial wellness reviews just try to make our customers better than when we found them and, and to stay with them through, through life. And unfortunately, they're stuck with us, but hopefully we treat them well and they enjoy it. So. Well, that's great. It's wonderful to have something that sets you apart. And there's nothing like having a personal relationship that you've built with, you know, any number of, you know, your professional circle. So yeah, that's great. Before we get into kind of the current market conditions and some of your insight into that, we have a joke kind of in the investment industry that hairdressers have a higher barrier to entry than investment advisors do just based on the exams that you have to take, things like that. What does the lending world look like in terms of starting? Yeah, it is It is very aggressive. Let's just say I've been doing this 21 years and getting in it then versus getting in it now, it's, it's difficult. There's a standardized test and a lot of pre-licensing education along with um, we're one of the few industries that continues to have continuing education annually. So we're recertified every single year. And I think the big difference when you mentioned big banks and some other ones, a lot of those under an FDIC bank don't have to get licensed by each state. They can go underneath the federal charter of the bank, which means they don't have a lot of continuing education or pre-licensing and all that. So they don't stay up on refining their craft, uh, where we as an independent mortgage bank and or brokerage has to. And so getting into it, there's a standardized test and each state is specific. So you have to get licensed and spend the time intentionally to learn each state rules and regulations because they're not standardized across the board. Every state from Oregon to Washington, even the Pacific Northwest is inherently different. And so that's something that is very unique. And I would say it lowers the entry rate by quite a bit going through that because it's tough. A lot of the stuff you may not use going forward on the testing, but it's meant for a reason to really try to make sure that those that are truly vested understand their craft aren't out there selling product that they shouldn't. Um, but we also have a great team and underwriters and closers that actually help us do our job really well. So I'd say there's more consumer protection than there's ever been, uh, but the barrier to entry is high. Good, that's always great to hear. There's um, a couple of states, at least on, on our side that have, I think it's at the SEC level, has started to mandate that there is continuing education for mm -hmm. investment advisors. And that just started as of last year, which uh -huh. is bonkers to me wow. that there really is no continuing education requirement if you're just an investment advisor. If you have other certifications, like I'm a certified financial planner, we have continuing education requirements to uphold those designations. But really across the board, there wasn't anything standardized. So I'm happy to hear that at least yeah. that at least your industry does. Yeah, and, for sure. And we're following suit here. Yeah, well, that's that's great to hear. And I think like anything, when you're looking for a lender, you know, it's really focused on, like I mentioned, people you know, like, and trust. You have to know that the system and the barriers and all that type of stuff, no matter what tests you take, still doesn't lead the path, you know, for your security. It can help. Um, it can help mitigate it, but it's never going to eradicate it fully. So you really got to find somebody that you know, like, and trust. And, and I think good, I think people are a good read of character. I think individuals, especially a hairdresser, right? It is tough to get in. But you talk to them for an hour or so, and you're not going to go mm -hmm. back to them if you didn't like the conversation. So right. I think it's similar on the mortgage side as well. You had mentioned kind of big banks versus brokers. We also, when we were prepping, talked about credit unions. So we'll get to some of those questions and kind of the differences between all of them for the, on the consumer side in our frequently asked questions. But let's just get into some market insights. I'd love to hear just kind of a state of the union as of February of 2024. At Pure Portfolios, we don't give any 
projections. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't say where things are going to go, you know, with certainty. But unless you live under a rock, everyone knows that interest rates have gone up over the last couple of years. And I don't know about you, but we get a lot of people that come back to us and say, what do you see happening next? Is now a good time to invest, etc." So I'm sure that you kind of get the, the similar sentiment when you're speaking with your clients. Is now a good time to lock in a rate? Should I buy a house now? So just give us kind of the state of the union. Where are things going and what kind of trends are you seeing? Absolutely. Gosh, I wish I did have a crystal ball. It would be interesting. But yeah, no, this is just what I know and what my experience has been in living in this every single day. So we are more in tune with the data and information every single day. And we send it out to all of our real estate partners as well to keep everybody in tune because I think the best path towards anything is through education. And I love that you guys do these podcasts because I think it's critically important. Um, but as rates started to surge in 22, you know, back up from the two, the three percents, everybody kind of views, you know, that as the barometer. But a lot of people forget that interest rates were as high as 16% in the 80s and six, seven, eight percent in the 09 to 2010. And it kind of stayed about three, four, five percent through almost a decade. Um, so that's really not that different from where they are today. So they're about seven percent. And we saw back in November and December that we saw some positivity that the Fed would actually lower interest rate. So one thing about the market is that it always kind of hedges ahead of what may happen. So it usually builds in what's going to happen. And so what happened in November, they thought that interest rates were going to be cut. In the second part of November, they thought that interest rates were going to be cut sooner than later. So you saw some improvement, which sparked home buying and applications went up by about 38% in December. And then you saw information that came out in December that it was, yeah, the economy is a little bit hotter than it is should be right now. Um, although the counter argument to that is credit card usage and other things are the highest they've ever been as well. So there's kind of like this influx. And so it doesn't mean interest rates are not going to be cut because mortgage rates are not directly tied to the Fed, but it does mean that the overall state of the economy, that they're trying to target 2% inflation. And it came out a little bit hotter than they wanted in that. It also had a jobs report that was a little bit hotter um, in January as well. A lot of that factor too, holiday, retail sales, employment, and other things there. So I think they will uh, see some correction, but rates are kind of hovering around that 6.875 and a quarter ish percentage. And I think that that's what we're going to see. But also economists say many, many economists from Fannie Mae to Freddie Mac to Mortgage Bankers Association, that they're still on pace that rates will be cut this year. It just may be more spring and summer than hopefully what was going to be in the Fed minutes in March. So I do still think that rates will go towards the lower mark, but the days of two, 3%, are, it's not going to go there. And I also advise our clients that it's kind of like buying a stock. You know, when you're looking at the stock market, you're going to want to try to buy at the lowest and sell at the highest, right? But when you're usually chasing the bottom, you usually miss it. It's similar to that in real estate where you have to find something that where if it makes sense for you and it's affordable, you have to do it. You kind of have to, you know, date the house, marry the rate kind of a concept, find out whatever makes the most sense for you. But that's kind of where we're at right now. Again, some economists are still thinking that we're going to be on that pace towards the end of the year. And that the Fed will do that. But the Fed minutes, um, and there's some more data that comes out this week, nothing too favorable um, or will really kind of move that needle. But that's kind of the state of where we're at right now in the mortgage world. But it's definitely not doom and gloom. I mean, six, seven percent with the opportunity maybe to buy down a little bit lower if this is your forever home. Again, finding a financial planner or a mortgage advisor that will show you all the options, you really have to just take the motion out of it and really make sure that you're making the best data based decision for you and your family, you know, for that today.
I'm glad that you brought up the 80s because we always hear people saying, you know, mortgage rates are at all times at all time highs, which of course we know just isn't the truth. I know you're not a real estate agent, but I'm sure as you're watching the trends of homes, do you have any insight to what kind of the supply looks like on the home side? Mortgage rates may be up, people are ready to buy, mm -hmm. but is there really, you know, what's what's kind of the close rate versus application yeah. rate? Yeah, so I would say, you know, I would say it's shifted. I would say towards the latter part of last year, a lot of individuals like, I want to move, but I'm going to wait for interest rates to come down. Nobody knew what down meant or where that meant, but they just said down in general. That was kind of the common theme. To where now individuals are moving because they have jobs and things that have to happen. I think we were going to see a little bit harder market starting in January, February than we saw. But I think the winter storm, you know, again, being from Pacific Northwest, wiped out things. We had people with pipe broke. Mm -hmm. uh, broke. I had a lot of real estate agents going to listings to see if the home was still able to be for sale. A lot of different things really sparked that. So I think we'll see a spring as a lot more activity and a lot more inventory will come up for that. I also think the biggest challenge with that is that I tell our clients as well, even at, say you had a six and a half percent interest rate of where a home price is at 500,000 a day, that drops to five and a half, but that home goes up to 700,000. You're paying almost identically the same payment that you are today. That's a big thing, again, to let the data do the conversation. And if you actually look at historical data from 1987 to even today, the, the average appreciation rate of homes in the, across the country was just shy of 5%. So that means, just to put that in context, a $500,000 loan, you put 5% down, that's $25,000. That that home appreciates 5% that year, that's $25,000. You make up that difference in that. So mm -hmm. again, I'm not here advising towards mortgages or not, I'm here uh, giving options. And for individuals to make the right decision or whatever meets them. But I do, I do hope that individuals that are thinking about it get educated. I hope individuals that are thinking about it, hoping for it, get prepared. Because I do think that there will be, we have even saw numbers get redone as of from 23 to today from Goldman Sachs and others that were thinking of 1.3, 1.9 appreciation rate. They've all revised it to be four and five. Um, so they think that this is actually going to be continue to have home uh, rates uh, uh, appreciate. So mm -hmm. again, you got to factor that in because that asset and building wealth is a large part of building wealth because it's an appreciating asset. So again, you got to look at those averages and what that is, but that's a long period of time for you to look at numbers that makes the most sense for them. So we heard a lot of people in was it 2021 where people were buying homes like they were going out of style, right. cash offers, well over asking. Um, and I've talked to a handful of clients who kind of got caught up into that mix. It's very emotional when you're putting in offers and they're getting rejected. Yep. So you go to the next home and you're kind of just taking whatever you can really get at that time. And people were waiving contingencies. I mean, it was, it was yep. really a wild time. A lot of those people shortly thereafter seemed to be kind of underwater at that point. Is that something that you also saw? Maybe that's just, you know, a short sample size of people that I've talked to, but yeah. what have, from people who bought in 2021, what has that appreciation really looked like when they're buying kind of overvalued? Yeah, well, you know, the good thing about real estate is once you even buy it over a value, if it's common in the marketplace in the area, the rates will kind of appreciate towards that level. So I haven't seen a lot of individuals that are neglecting paying as much as they did. I think that they, I mean, heck, that bidding war is why eBay was founded, right? To drive right. up prices. <laughs> so I think that there is that emotional side. I do think that emotional piece will come again because I think people are going to be chasing 
what they hoped it was. So if it's 600,000, it goes to 650 or 75,000. I mean, back then I saw 100, $200,000 over. I even yeah. saw one of them, which I don't think is real, right in a bottle of Dom Perignon champagne for them oh, to get the home. So I'm like, well, I guess <laughs> to each their own, right? Sure. But, so I don't see a lot of people regretting that. I think they're now starting to see the homes are continuing to appreciate back up. And it is something that they planned on being in for a while. So I think that's a big part of, of what we're seeing um, as well, just realizing that the investment is there. So, Last opinion I want to get from you is, given that supply is low, there's not a lot of people who want to give up their current rate and move right. because they would probably be in a less desirable area, maybe a smaller home, maybe it's not of equivalent mm -hmm. quality because sure. their interest rate goes up. They can't afford something quite as nice. We always hear something has to break in order to kind of make this system work again. I'd love to hear your opinion on that kind of quote, something has to break. I think that, you know, if you also think about that, those individuals that are in those homes as well might want to try to add value to it, upscale, do different things as well. Well, those prices have all gone up as well. So it's all relative to understanding that. And your buying power is really focused about what you can afford and what your comfort is. And I also think the biggest part of all of this, and this is people's shelter, this is their homes. And I think that the biggest part that people miss is there's life that happens. I see people with new contracts. I see people with new employment that are moving them out of state and other things. And so a lot of things that are gonna to continue to break are gonna be life's challenges. And when the economy, although it's roaring in a lot of regards, people are feeling the pressure of everything. So they're forced to either downsize in different ways or do some different things that are out there. So I see a lot of the life pressure happening on that. I also see when you look at the first time home buyer generation trying to get into it, I see a lot of gifts from mom and dad and family members. Mm -hmm. And so I see a lot of that wealth being trying to be transferred or the senior generation that are focused on reverse mortgages to try to just stay affordability and, and stay in their homes, which that program allows you to get equity out of your home so you can continue to pay your insurance and your property taxes. So I had even my own family member trying to stay in the home based upon their age. And, you know, the property taxes were driving them out of there. So mm -hmm. there's there's tools in which life happens and it really goes from there. Those are going to stay in those two and a half, three percent, four percent interest rate. If you look at five or six and that percentage differently, heck, I think people are more upset about how much they're paying for their auto loan than they are for what it looks like even at a mortgage when they're paying yeah, sure. eight, 900, 800, $900 for a Nissan Rogue or something out there, right. that's tough, right? Yeah. So I think we're gonna see some of that continue to shift. Some of that with the Fed talk and all these items will help ease some of that other economic concerns that makes that the home, not the only one that they really focused on that they have to hold on to because it's the last good deal that I have. But I do think life will continue to happen. I do think there are some good investment opportunities because, again, that appreciation rate will continue to go up. So if you're a long-term individual and if you look at it from a long-term perspective, I think that's how you have to run the game. Again, I, I can pull mortgage interest rates back to the end of time to show you what they are. But if you look at where it has been over the last two decades, the movement isn't as monumental as people make out to be. Although we've seen that movement just from you know 2021 to 22, it's not mm -hmm. the same. So I think I do think that there is a lot of life pressures, a lot of things that are happening, but focusing on what tools they do have, what hopefully there are, getting people into homes and then looking at what does the future hold. Again, if they have a good mortgage advisor that are helping them stay in tune to continue to offer something that they could lower their payment, 
but that's that's what I'm seeing a lot of. I'm also seeing a lot of individuals offering free refinances and all those other items. Yeah. Just remember for those out there, there's nothing on this planet that is free. And if it's, <laughs> it's usually free and there's no cost and it's reflective in your interest rate. So just be diligent to not fall into those because I think we're all looking for some little piece of hope or something mm -hmm. in that, but just have to be sound and take the emotion out of it and, and look at that. So hopefully that kind of answers my, at least my, my thought of what I'm seeing just from the clients that work with us. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Let's move on to kind of mortgage options for different life stages. So I think our listeners yeah. probably have a good idea of where things are at right now. So thank you for your education and insight there. Let's focus first on the first time home buyers, because there's a lot, like you said, from the report that uh, you're going to reference that are ready and willing to buy. So talk to me about just kind of mortgage options and what younger people or first time home buyers should be focusing on as they're getting ready to buy their first home? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, everybody compares, you know, what's my home price based upon Zillow? What's my credit off of credit, Karma credit, you know, uh, all Sesame or any of those ones that are out there. Just again, know mm -hmm. those are just barometers. They're not the actual item. So knowing to make sure that your credit is in line, you know, what does your debt load look like? Are you consuming a lot of debt? Are you going one direction or are you going the other? And you're working towards, again, that financial freedom or you're not. And making sure just your household and all those items, especially as costs are up, are there. Um, I do think first-time home buyers have incredibly great options. Uh, again, there's zero to 5% down options based upon where they what, what they qualify for, where they want to live. There's a rural housing loan that allows you to actually do 100% financing. And good thing about Oregon is there's a lot of rural areas that we wouldn't probably consider rural that are developing out because it goes off of a previous census. So there are some income requirements for those, but I think there's options, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. And I think there's options that allow individuals to really almost use this as a good roadblock for them to say, I'm actually now saving money because it's going towards a mortgage that I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And I can actually have that going towards appreciating asset that I could sell if I need to or, or tap into equity if I need to, but knowing that that's continued to grow for me. So I do think there's a lot of good first-time homebuyer options. There's a lot of good things. If you're not in a good financial state, just meet with somebody to know that you want to be there. But uh, the problem I see in working with a lot of businesses is there's just not a lot of hope that they even have that ability to afford a home down the line. And that's the last thing that I think we want, anybody wants. I do think the economy will continue to rebound to show that. But there's a lot of things you can do today to get yourself in the best position. And whether that's getting a home tomorrow, six months from now, 10 years from now, there's things you can do now to get yourself prepared. So I think just having that I think we all work better towards a plan, right? It's like that ladder analogy. If I take little steps to get towards the mountain, I'll get it. If I take these monumental steps, I'm never gonna get there because I can't even make the first step. So I think there's a little things that really allow individuals to really be prepared. And that's where I would just say, if you don't even know what to do, consult. And uh, as we saw, and we shared some numbers, you know, even before this call was, most of our uh, consumer base is absorbing content through video when they're learning mm -hmm. about the mortgage process. So I really try to look at segments to which, where is our consumers absorbing content and how can I be there to make sure that they're educated as much as they can be. And they're also doing it more towards YouTube and podcasts than they ever have, where before it was more Instagram. So I think that's kind of interesting data if you look at how people, especially first time home buyers, that next generation is absorbing content now compared to what it was even a year ago, is a little bit different, so. On the content side, just about anyone can pick up a microphone and talk and post it online. So there's a right. lot of really great information out there. There's a lot of probably not so great information out there. 
Is there any advice that you've seen someone give online and you've just thought that is just flat out false? Oh gosh, how much time do we have? No, I would say, I would say it's this. Honestly, I view it as this. If it looks too good to be true, it usually is. Mm-hmm. Or if there's not enough information disclosed about it that makes you ask questions, usually they're trying to get you into have you having a conversation. So okay. I think if you're looking for individuals that are consistent, providing good content, influencing, and I do think reviews are important, from individuals that are out there just to know what this is. Not everybody's gonna be perfect. I think if individuals really understand if they do make a mistake, there was some good intent by it, because we're all gonna make mistakes. Not, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. But for those that respond and have that genuine intent, I think are important. But I see a lot of interest rates being posted without a, which shows you the total cost of everything. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize that in mortgages, there's a total interest paid over time, no matter what that is. The dollar looks really scary and we have to disclose it, but it's yeah. the truth. And what we also try to do is we do what we call a total cost analysis and a mortgage coach that really guides them through and also shows even outside of this payment, if you want to make additional principal payments, which is tough to come by right now, but this could actually accelerate what we call your freedom point from 30 years to maybe even 23 to pay that off sooner. So I think finding somebody, you know, I can trust realizing that content, no matter if it's on the news, on TikTok, on whatever the heck you absorb is not going to be the, the end all be all. I think millennials and everybody in next gen really focus on what most people miss is they're all tech, they're online, they want automated. No, that industry does more research than anybody that's out there, but they need more affirmation than any other uh, group we've ever had. And they're looking for somebody that gives them that affirmation that they're doing the right thing. So I think that's a big part of what I see is just making sure that come with all your data and then allow that to go through and no dumb question is ever done. Bring mm-hmm. it up, go through it. This is what you see and really find that. Especially those serving our military and other communities, make sure that they're getting the best deal because they deserve it. So that's really what I kind of see, you know, really from the falsehoods, more just ask the questions because mm-hmm. if somebody's out there, especially if they're a larger company, they're trying to get you in, they're trying to get leads now more than ever, you're getting called on more than anything. And again, we can all sit around the dinner table and talk about what interest rate we have, but nobody talks about what they paid for it. So mm-hmm. that's really an important part to make sure you're with somebody that really uncovers all that information for you. With first time home buyers, we talked about, you know, a lot of people say, I make X amount, I don't think I'll ever be able to afford to buy a home. What is the first thing that those people should do if they are interested in buying a home, but don't know if they can afford one? I would say is to reach out to a mortgage advisor, I think, or a financial planner. I think either one is going to direct you into the similar direction depending on where your life is. You need Mm -hmm. to make sure you're building your credit. But I also have individuals that have no established credit. And we have loan programs that will help them with no Mm -hmm. traditional credit. If you have no established credit, we can actually still lend to you. So Uh there are some avenues that, again, you may, may not know that, but going to somebody, making sure that you're talking to somebody that isn't just selling off of the menu they have rather than guiding you through what are the options that are out there. Like I I said before the call, if we can find you a solution, even if it's not through us, we're going to find it. If it's bare land, if it's a construction loan, it's a manufactured home in a park, or your dream home that's $10 million, we're going to find it even if it's not through us because we've been in this community. So I do think that the first-time home buyers just need to look at starting to saving for what that is. What do you want to look at? What do you want your payment to be? Because that savings can also help you. You can get zero down but you may want to put more down just to help you get your payment in mind. So mm-hmm. you got to know what everybody's financial goals are independently, and then we can work on strategies to help you achieve that. So I would at least say consult, get prepared, even when you're not even ready, 
to make sure you know what's out there. And then you can really navigate with your eyes wide open about the data you receive. So I think that's great advice. You just said, talk to someone, even if you're not ready to pull the trigger today, because I mean, we're of course, big advocates. I'm a financial planner. We're advocates for planning for, for life events, the longer of a runway that you have in order to get to your destination, you know, probably the better the outcome is going to be because you have time time to take the right steps. So kind of transitioning into people who are maybe not in their first time home purchase. You mentioned that there's a lot of gifting that is happening, whether that's for estate planning reasons, just helping out the younger generation get into their first home. What do those on the receiving side, maybe the first time home buyers need to know about receiving gifts and what do the gifters need to know about giving gift for, for a mortgage purpose? Yeah, no, those are great questions. I do think there's lots of differences based upon a gift and how does that look like at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, like anything on the personal relationship, regardless of the lending side, defining those items, because I think money can drive families and people away. So knowing that is it a gift or is it a loan between them? Mm -hmm. I view it as a gift that comes when it comes across our table based upon what it is. But if that's something you got to repay and that, then I want to factor that in to your home affordability and your calculation of everything. So you can see it. So that's the Mm -hmm. first thing that I would say, just regardless of what lending is, but we do allow the the industry does allow gifts to be done on that. So I do think that there are items. I see a lot of times people have money. They don't know what to do. There's even distributions that you can do out of trusts and other things Mm -hmm. like set up individuals for that. So I also see sometimes mom needs help and wants to live, you know, be a part of that and wants to help with the down payment and be a co-borrower on the transaction. So again, each person's situation is uniquely inherently different. And we have loan products that serve each one of those. But as far as, and that's how I like to do it rather than we have these products, do you fit into one of them? We really want to fit it into you and make sure that that's what is there. Because whether it's an asset depletion loan, a bank statement loan, or a savvy investor that's looking what we call a debt consolidation loan that literally just goes off of the future profits of the property, not your Mm -hmm. income, making sure there's enough there, that allows you to get into from an investment standpoint, there's an opportunity there if you want that. If you want to go the standard route and you're a business owner, We'd have to go through your tax returns and all that. So again, there's pros and cons to both. There's ease. There's usually something for the ease because sometimes those do have a prepayment penalty, but also advantages that get you in. So there's differences based upon both spectrums that I see, not only on the gift, just in general. And I do see a lot of individuals that are tapping into home equity lines of credit and those type of items to help with that. We also do see a lot of contingent offers, which means you have to sell your existing home get your next one. Well, Mm -hmm. sometimes to help an offer not be contingent, there's what we call a bridge loan. A bridge loan allows you to take basically the equity out of this home, kind of like a six month interest only loan to use that money to then go buy the next home and then that home pays off. So it -hmm. helps you write an offer for things. So again, there's all these kind of products out there that really make it unique for every single person. And we just try to make sure that we advise them by what makes most sense in their situation. Yeah, I like what you said about finding, not fitting the the client into the product, but finding the product that fits the client's unique needs, because there's a lot more products available than just a 30 or conventional loan that I think most people probably don't know about. If you're just looking online, what kind of loan could I get for someone who is retired? We have a lot of clients that want to either buy their retirement home or they want to buy a second home in retirement. What does the application and approval process look like for a retiree that's maybe living on a pension and social security and some investment income? How does that differ from just kind of your everyday W-2? It's really similar. Income is income. Where you get it from is really what's most important. And does that 
offset because we call it your debt to income ratio, right? Your mm -hmm. income that comes in to what your debt is. So if your income's coming from social security, again, it also goes towards what are you trying to do? You know, are you 60 years old and you want to live in a home for another 30 years? Or are you trying to get into home to build wealth? Or are you trying to access equity in your existing home and you just want to kind of stay where you are? It really depends on what that looks like, you know, for mm -hmm. all those items. So again, we work with a lot of first-time home buyers, we work with a lot of self-employed individuals and a lot of individuals that are on either the first responders, nurses, uh, police, fire. A lot of those individuals are actually on programs that are driving them out of the areas that they're trying to even serve. So we mm -hmm. were a big part of what we call the Helper Act. The Helper Act is actually a Senate bill that strives to have all first responders, so it'll be police, fire, clergy, teachers, nurses, have similar benefits as a veteran would, because a veteran can have 100% financing. So mm -hmm. we're out to meet with, I know, Mr. Buster Burke, the local police chief in Lake Oswego. We're out there providing education, actually going to Salem this week, providing education for those markets, allow individuals to know there's a lot of programs that give you $500 off, but are there programs that are on the Senate floor that have more bipartisan support than anything that's out there? Are there advocates that are trying to help you be in a better spot? So, again, whether it's a pension, all those other items, there's a lot of avenues and there's a lot of good people out there fighting the good fight for individuals to try to get into home affordability for their families. So there's a lot of things out there. So more than just what happens with pension and other things, there's a lot of larger causes that are influencing out there. And there's actually, it's called the Helper Act. There's actually a mm -hmm. bill that are on, it's on the Senate floor, but God love okay. our government. We'll see when that gets passed or how's that, but it does have more bipartisan support than any other bill. And that's a big thing to say right now in today's political environment, so. Wow, that's fascinating. Is that, are there a lot of bills that are passed? I mean, is that like a frequent thing that happens in your industry that could potentially change the way that you work and operate? Not necessarily. I would say this was, you know, a good friend of mine that I've worked with together, you know, was really a former Marine and it was a mm -hmm. big advocate for this and okay. affecting lives of other individuals is important. And I think yeah. caring about those that serve, but also caring about just everything that's transpired over the last several years, making sure that those families can live in the markets. We talked about appreciation, how great it is, but appreciation can force people out of markets just yeah. as much as it is for those to build wealth. And so having a program that allows them to have a similar benefit and when a veteran who deserves that 100% financing can come in today, but a police or fire that are out there serving every day can't have something similar and right. has to put 20% down, that, that's a very tough pill to swallow and they just can't afford it. So especially when all of the money throughout the years has kind of dried up and their savings accounts are dwindling away, that's tough. So having somebody out there that's an advocate is important. But I would say, no, it's not common. And again, if that bill is passed, this is something not just Lions Capital can serve. This is something everybody can provide. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's important. So I don't think there's a lot of groundbreaking items that are doing out there that are trying to do that. But there are some mm -hmm. good people that are trying to be advocates for it. Hmm. That's great. It'll be really interesting to see if that gets passed. And like you said, it'll it'll affect millions of lives. So absolutely. Um, yeah, that's great news. Hopefully that comes around soon. Are there any age-related lending considerations that retirees should be aware of when seeking a new mortgage or a refinance? Yeah. So if you are 62 years or older, we talked about it kind of briefly, you are able to get what is called a reverse mortgage. And so a reverse mortgage allows you to tap in to the equity of your home. And depending on your age, it allows you to tap into certain loan-to-value ratios about what you can take. And it's great because it doesn't allow you to take, oh, I just get to get, get 500,000, I can go buy a property in Palm Springs, <laughs> and then you're actually in a worse spot. It right. says how much you can get every year. And then as that home appreciates, you can continue to tap into that appreciation as money 
again, mm -hmm. you still do have to pay your homeowner's insurance and your property taxes, but you have money yeah. that allows you to do that. So there's also elements that allow you to purchase a home through reverse mortgage as well. So it's very complex. It's actually a government backed product. So it's actually an mm -hmm. FHA government loan. So you do have to have independent counseling for it. And so individuals can see if this does serve them, but it's a very great product. It's gotten a lot of bad rap, I would say throughout the years, but again, yeah. If it makes sense for a customer situation, then there's an option for it. And I'm never an advocate of somebody just strapping somebody with more debt. But I do think there are elements, especially at that state, when you are that, having parents that are that are a little bit older, you know, living in the home where they are known and familiar versus the cost of trying to go down the street. And you know, yeah. some of the ones in Las Vegas that are oh, yeah. phenomenal properties, but they're very expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, what does that look like? And it's unfamiliar. So, yeah. and this is, you know, so it's, it's, it's very unique. So yes, there are some products that are very unique to that. And there's some great options for them that are available. All right, let's move on to some frequently asked questions. We'll just kind of rapid fire these at you. These questions were compiled by our team, some personal experiences from, the from again, the Peer Portfolios team, and just some questions that we get from our clients. So let's just start with, you had mentioned this before too, marry the house, date the rate. What does that mean? And why are people saying it now? Well, I know. Well, I think a lot of people say it, but they say it to just get you in the home and don't worry about the interest rate. I don't think that's my intent. My intent is, like I said before, is if you can afford it and the payment makes sense, buying an appreciation asset is a great way for you to build wealth. Um, so I do think that that is something to look at. Having a mortgage consultant or a financial advisor that is looking and monitoring when rates get to a certain point. But again, there's fees associated in refinance. Usually, so you got to really factor that in. Even if the rate moves about a quarter percent, meaning from seven percent to six point seven five, does that make enough sense for you to do that? So you want to make sure you're with a financial consultant or a mortgage advisor that goes through that and shows you that. I've run some what if scenarios and analysis, just like I do on credit, on their payment and what it would be if their interest rate was this, and here'd be the cost associated with it. Oh, got it. Okay, so that allows them to know what that looks like. I would also say. A question I get a lot that's kind of in that line is, okay, what about our arm product? Because I only hold it a little bit, and then what will happen? Well, unfortunately, the investors and everybody's a little bit smarter than us in some regard because their factoring rates are going to go down. So they're not making that product as favorable price-wise, knowing that you're probably just going to refinance out of it. So right. that is another factor to really look at when you look at those items. But sometimes there's a bucket that fills up, and there's an opportunity. It's kind of like supply and demand. That supply's there. They want it then you can fill that bucket up with a good interest rate on a shorter term uh, mortgage. But I would say, again, if you can afford it, it's something that makes sense for you to buy it, knowing that you could always improve your situation. You don't want to make the decision knowing that I can only afford this if I refinance. But that's where I would say the difference of kind of enjoy the house, make sure it's something that you love. Whether you plan on being there two years or it's your forever home, know that going into it before you make financial decisions. Okay. We had talked about a little bit with credit unions, independent brokers, big banks. Give us the difference between all of them. And then kind of a follow-up question to that is, you know, you can walk down the street and get 25 quotes within an hour from all different, all different yeah. lenders. What are some different considerations in addition to finding the lowest rate? I would say, one, rate cost is important. A lot of people go to mm -hmm. Les Schwab knowing they're not the lowest cost, but they know that they're going to be served and they're only going to be taken care of for the rest of their life. Yeah. I'm not saying pay more for it, but know that every good and service has a cost to it. Even mm -hmm. if you get a free lunch or even if you get a low, low, low rate, but no cost, there's something that is there. 
and you're either talking to nobody or there's an opportunity cost. So there's always that. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying factor in every opportunity cost. Let's just put it that way. I would say I had a wholesale mortgage company. So a wholesale mortgage company is where a lot of people broker loans to. I owned it and I worked exclusively with credit unions and small banks. Mm-hmm. A lot of them didn't even have government loans that they could offer their clientele. And some of them did. So each bank, again, size, all those items, acumen is different. And so a lot of those individuals, one, didn't offer certain products to their members that that could serve them. So they were kind of saying, this is what we can do. So again, that's damaging in some regard. They also don't like longer term or or really uh, loan to value ratios that are above 80%. So mm-hmm. lower down payments, they, they don't like that as much, but they're a little more lenient sometimes on the credit. That's just the experience of that. But everybody feels, well, my credit means that I got my bank statement, it'll be fine. Not necessarily. You got to make sure, and there's great people at great credit unions. I have really good friends that work at a lot of these, but you really got to make sure, again, you find the right person and knowing what product can they offer. Will they be a one-stop shop for everybody? Absolutely not. And they will admit that. I would say the same with large banks, right? Most individuals on that side are individuals that sit behind a desk and get a lot of leads every single day and going through that. There's phenomenal Mm -hmm. people, but they make very little usually on the mortgage and they make more off of your deposits and the assets that you bring into the the organization. So again, everybody's kind of like a surgeon, right? You got to really make sure if you find somebody that's skilled in their craft to serve you, that's what they do all day. I don't sell checking accounts. I don't sell debit cards. We do mortgages. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. And then there's also independent mortgage banks where I spent the majority of my career on, but they house a lot of costs and underwriting and overhead and compliance, all these other items. I chose a broker platform because I served it for so long because I can temper my costs. And I also can farm out there all of the lenders across the nation to find you the best deal. And I say deal because it's not usually the rate. It's usually the combination of your credit score, how much you're putting down, all those factors that get you into what you you fit. And so those are the factors that we really try to go out there and find for individuals to find that. Do I think one model is better than the other? Absolutely not. I think, again, finding the right person at whatever model it is, if they can serve you, they're the best ones that you need to go with. But do not think that there is a massive advantage on one platform. And I'll even say that with my platform. Some people may beat me up for that, but I truly believe that. I truly believe that in being in both environments. But what happens in those larger ones, banks, credit unions, independent mortgage banks, you greed can step in. And then the margins continue to go up because they have to cover costs. And what happens with that is usually you lose sight of your baseline. When you lose sight of your baseline, everything affects the rate and the interest rate goes up. So that's what happens just in normal world. And that's my best description of all the differences. So find somebody you know, like, and trust, and just make sure you're getting the best deal. Because of those 20 plus quotes you mentioned, they could all be on different items. Some may be in yeah. an email that shows you one thing. Do not make any assumptions based upon it. I see a lot of stuff come across my desk where it's like, hey, this is the interest rate. Well, when was that given to you? Well, two weeks ago. Have you seen it's the new right market's anymore. changing every day? So it's not your yeah. rate anymore and it came down. You said you wanted to put 20% down. So again, all those factors make a difference. And sometimes they'll make assumptions that your credit score is 780. It's 720. There's a difference. So just making sure down to the finest detail, that's my best summary of it all. Again, find somebody you know, I can trust, somebody that you do see, and somebody that will lay out the information transparently. One of our biggest frustrations when we purchased our home, we talked to, I don't know, five different banks, lenders, whatever. Yeah was comparing the costs. Some people yep. included something in closing costs where another person was using something else in closing costs. And it was really hard to, like you said, compare really apples to apples. So we ended up making our own spreadsheets. And okay, here's this line item. Where does this one fall into? And 
really getting down into the nitty gritty. What's the best way to compare rates and costs? So the best way to compare based upon if you don't have a lender that invests in mortgage coach, which is a total cost analysis, it's something that'll show you, well, I'll actually give you, I'll ask for that quote and I'll show Mm -hmm. you, I'll put that in and I'll put a side by side down to the detail. And I would Mm -hmm. say the most misquotes are usually misappropriation down payment, uh, Mm -hmm. credit scores off or taxes are wrong or how much Mm -hmm. they're withholding in taxes. So usually that is something there. It really shows great. It shows why is there six grand less in closing costs? Well, they didn't collect the appropriate taxes from you for the year that's required for you to close that loan. That's not a us thing. That's just a standard thing. And you're not going to know that. That's why you go to somebody like us to figure that out. So I think that, again, getting working with somebody that if you don't have that, make sure you're getting a loan estimate. The loan estimate was made to really try to make sure that's a standard procedure. You might get some itemization of fees or somebody's Excel document or an email. You really want to ask for what a loan estimate is for you to actually see what's behind everything and then go to somebody and say, here's what it is. And I would, I would ask just from my perspective is here's what I'm seeing. Like, tell me what it is. We love working mm-hmm. with customers that want to work with us. Where it's like, here's what I can get. Can you match it? But let's talk through it. It kind of puts a lot of people on the defensive because my goal is to get you the best deal, whatever that is, because yeah. if that affects you and your family, that's what we want. But our expertise comes with a lot of stuff to help you navigate certain things and mm-hmm. take the peace of mind out of it. It's not necessarily more. But that's the factor of everything. So I think getting a loan estimate is an important commonality of people to say, that's what I could ask for once you get into a certain item, because that'll show you what the rate is, the day they quoted it, making sure all your terms that they quoted you on, do they ask you all the right questions to actually generate a quote for you? So that's what's important, especially these online lenders that'll give you something in two minutes. You never know if that's the real thing or not. Usually a lot of those. And one thing about credit unions and banks, they have to post their interest rates online. Mm-hmm. And you really got to look at what they quote because normally it's 25, 30% with at least a, a seven eighths to a point in cost. That's yeah. in there. And most people don't see that. They just, again, rate, this is what I can get. Here's what it is. So yeah. those would be some things that I'd say to ask for, or at least find somebody like myself that'll say, look, I want you to get the best deal. Even if it's not with me, I'll help guide you to make sure that it's there. So some of my best customers are somebody that didn't come with me because we found them the best deal. And it was something that I either verified was good or it wasn't. So Wonderful. So you've provided a lot of really actionable advice and guidance to our listeners today. We're going to close out with two personal questions. The first one is what are you reading or listening to right now? Gosh, I'm listening to a lot of things. I would say one of the things that I'm reading that I love is um, I have one that's called Lead Like Jesus, and I have another one that's called Mentor Leader by Tony Dungy, and it really mm-hmm. focuses on how to be a better person every single day. So those are those are something that I wake up and 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 listen to and read to try to make myself and align myself every single day. Those sound like good reads. Our second question is: When was the last time you did something for the first time? It's a good question. I don't know. I'm such a creature of habit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know what it was? It was last month. It was last month was my birthday. And I went out, my friend of ours took us out to a new restaurant where I usually go to about the same three or four restaurants in Lake Oswego. Took us out to downtown Portland. I was brave and I went there <laughs> and we had a really good time and it was awesome. And it's actually where I grew up in Southeast Portland. So I went to a new restaurant probably in a very, very long time. So that's what I would say is, is relatively new. Very cool. What was the restaurant and how would you rate it out of five stars? It was Ava Jean's. It's I a, have heard of that one, yeah. Uh, it was a phenomenal Italian restaurant. I give it a 10 because not only it was nice. the atmosphere, it felt like I was somewhere other than Portland or Lake Oswego, yeah. um, but the food, the service was uh, tremendous. I was also with good company, so that helped too, right? So, yeah. uh, But it was excellent. It's nice to get outside the bottle and push the comfort zone a little bit. 
Well, thank you so much for being on Blind Spots today, Kevin. It was a pleasure. Tell us where we can find you, either socials, website. Yeah, we're on, so Lions Capital Mortgage, we're on pretty much every platform from YouTube to LinkedIn to uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, our main office is located right in downtown Lake Oswego, 135A Avenue. It's a little more, less traditional. Um, we've been here for about five, six years, but we wanted to really be active in the community. We're right across the street from Salt and Straw. So as you're getting your ice cream, you want to come over and stop in. We're a part of the 4th of July parade. We do hamburgers and hot dogs. We really engage. We want to make the mortgage experience a really good, easy comfort. Just like you're meeting with a real estate and over your kitchen table, we want it to be a similar environment. So we host events and things here. So it's awesome. But we're in multiple states. We have offices along the Oregon coast to up in Washington. So you can find us there. But yeah, this is pretty much where we hang out. But if there's anything we can ever do, we're lionscapitalmortgage.com. Um, you can research any of our individuals. They're all individuals I've worked with for a very long time. So they're all people I know, like, and trust and individuals I view as family. So I love it. Well, go see Kevin down in Lake Oswego, and then you can go across the street, get some bamboo sushi, and then finish yeah. your evening with some salt and straw. I think that sounds like a great night. That sounds nice. You just planned my night. I like this. There you go. Well, thanks again for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. 